significant. See, the first beam, the vertical beam, represents our relationship with God. It's a reminder what Jesus has done, made a way for us to be connected to God. But then the horizontal beam represents our relationships to each other. And simply put, the vertical beam, our relationship with God, begins to influence or to impact the horizontal symbolic relationship of people. As God comes in our life, it affects how we interact with others. Now, if you're here today or watching online and you're not in a relationship with God, first I want to say we're glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. What a great place to be to process your doubts, to work through what it might mean to have a relationship with God. But I want to say to you that it might actually sound a bit strange what we're going to present to you today. But I think if you'll hang in there, it's going to be tremendously helpful for you because it's going to show you what can happen when you allow Jesus to come into your life and how not only does Jesus impact your life, but he has the ability to impact the lives of all of the people around you simply by how we interact with them. So we're going to jump into Luke 22 today. We're going to look at a couple of verses, but to set it up, I got to tell you, we're going to step into what I'll describe as a bit of a tense moment. Okay, so picture this. Jesus is with his disciples. They're having dinner. The disciples would have been these men and some other women that were following him, that were a part of his deal. But particularly, he's with his core disciples. And they're sitting down at dinner, which they would have done quite often. This was not uncommon. But this particular dinner is a bit unique. We actually reference this dinner as the upper room scene in the Bible. Jesus is gathered at the table with them, and he's going to do a couple things. First, he begins to unpack some we'll call Christian principles that will be helpful for the disciples as they prepare for his departure. He also institutes what we call communion or the Lord's Supper, which is essentially he took elements of their dinner and he used them to describe what was about to happen to him on the cross. We use it now as a reminder of the cross periodically in our services. But then he's going to... I'm going to say drop a bombshell on the disciples. While they're sitting there at dinner, he's going to look across the table and say, one of you sitting at this table tonight is going to betray me. Now, immediately all the disciples, as we probably would, begin to become defensive, right? Oh, no, no way, Jesus. Not me. I would never do that. I'm with you till the end. We're we're mono a mono. Like, this this is our thing, right? And as they start trying to become defensive, if you will, and to push off this idea, naturally the pushing becomes pointing. And they start pointing across, well, it's not going to be me, but it's probably going to be you, bro. Like, I saw you the other day. You did some shady stuff, man. I see you over there. Like And immediately what we find is actually a really helpful lesson for you and I in life. And that is that oftentimes our judgment is rooted and arrogance. That as we become so confident that, no, 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 never me, never me, we begin to point. And essentially what happens, this is so fascinating, they go from this moment where Jesus says, some of you are going to betray me tonight, to a moment of them arguing, you ready for this, over who's going to be the greatest amongst them at the table. Like how you shift from a betrayal moment to I'm the greatest, or at least Jesus tell me, surely I'm the greatest, right? It's very interesting. The disciples are confusing sometimes, but they're human, which helps us all because we're messed up too, right? They give us some hope here. But the idea here is there is this massive shift that takes place at this dinner. 
And I think about this, you know, this idea of arrogance leading to judgment reminds me of a story. I think it's, I still remember it to this day. We, a couple years ago, we took a thousand, a couple thousand high school students to the beach for a camp, a retreat. And on this retreat, our job, my job, was to be one of the quote-unquote counselors. Got to use that term loosely. I didn't have much to offer. But basically, we were there to facilitate, to keep them in line and make sure they didn't, you know, run out in the middle of the night and do crazy things. And so part of this deal is you were assigned certain students you didn't get to pick. And I was assigned a group of senior football players from a high school that maybe you're familiar with from right down the road, Katy High School. And these seniors had just won the state title. Congratulations. And they were arrogant and cocky. I just want to add that, all right? And so I had my hands full from the get-go. Well, anyways, one of the days, the uh, camp announced, hey, we're hosting a flag football tournament out on the beach. Any student can participate. So my football players that were seniors and just won state title decided, hey, we're going to go down and we're going to dominate that tournament. Uh, and then afterwards, we're going to go hang out with some girls on the beach. So being the good leader I am, I said, you don't have a chance with the girls because your arrogance is just a stink. But you might have a chance at the tournament, so good luck, have fun, you go. So they off, they ran, they're excited. A couple hours later, you ready for this? They come trudging through the door, and they just look defeated. And I said, what happened? You guys dominated, right? You must have got rejected from the girls. Surely that's what happened. Turns out they made it to the championship, and then they lost. But they didn't lose to a group of seniors from a rival high school, maybe down the road. No, they lost to freshmen from their own school. <laughs> it was probably the greatest moment in my, like, leading others' history of life. But what happened is this. My boys were extremely talented, athletic football players when they had their coach directing them. But left to their own devices, guess what happened? It became a show. One-handed grabs in the end zone, jumping up, trying to do a flip, catch the ball on defense. They were like, well, I can't give 100%. They're freshmen. I'll hurt them. So they would take it easy. And sure enough, as you can imagine, they lost. And then guess what happened? Just like with the disciples, the arguing and the arrogance led to pointing and judgment. And sure enough, our condo became a battleground of arguing and finger pointing over everything that everyone else did wrong. Now, I bring this up to you because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to step into this moment with the disciples who are arguing over who's going to be the greatest, and he's going to flip their perspective. And this is what I want us to lean into today. So let's look at verse 25, Luke 22. It says, Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. Now, this reference to friends of the people is this idea of, of a bit of the irony. Essentially, what's happening is in this time, back in the day, greatness would be, divine, be defined with three things. It would be position, it would be power, and it would be esteem. Now, if you fast forward to today... It's pretty similar, right? For us, it might look like this. It would be wealth, which is our power, status, which is the position, and then fame, which is the esteem. I was trying to think of how we could picture this, give you a great example, and I thought of the perfect one. You ready for this? Taylor Swift. 
probably the most powerful person on the planet, arguably. By the way, it's soon to be Taylor Swift Kelsey. And uh, gentlemen, if all of a sudden your wives and your daughters plop down with you to watch the Chiefs game today, I promise that has nothing to do with football. It's all about to get a glimpse of the greatest person on the planet to some of you. Taylor Swift. Now, listen. Taylor Swift embodies all three of these elements. Watch this. She's on this tour right now. Anybody know what it's called? The Eros. The Missouri City folks knew that. The Eros tour, of course. And let me give you some insight. You ready? Because I'm just going to blow your mind a little bit how we're all just missing it in life. Okay? Watch this. Her is a global phenomenon she's on. She's traveling the world. Average attendee per concert, 54,000. Okay. It's pretty cool, right? They're showing up. but Now, they're not opening their phone and watching an Instagram video. They're actually showing up to a concert that has a cost connected to you. Do you know how much it costs? Some of you are about to find out how much your wife spent. $1,600 average ticket price. Okay, just, just wait a minute. Somebody do the math for a second. Just give me one night at the concert. Like, I'll be set for life. This is incredible. It's estimated when this is all said and done, her gross ticket sales will be over a billion dollars. Esteem, fame, power, wealth. But what about position? Oh, I thought this was fun. When she's traveling into these different cities, what they're discovering is that she is creating an economic boom. Colorado alone, she added $140 million to the state's GDP. What? Now what people are saying, you ready for this? They're saying she could and more importantly, should run for president. <laughs> I mean, her influence alone, right? Can you imagine, we're, we're getting off track here. Can you imagine Taylor Swift, your president, and Travis Kelsey, your first gentleman? <laughs> Lord, we pray for America, and we ask you to give us God. Unreal. Here's the thing, though. Uh, it gets tricky when you start to think about what greatness is. It was tricky for them then, the disciples, as they're trying to know. All they've known is what happened around them, right? Their culture told them, hey, if you're a king, if you're, if you're a great man, then you have power and you take advantage of that power at all costs. It's your gift. And today it's not much different. The problem with today, okay, especially for those of you that have kids, the problem today is the people that we deem as great or the people we deem as role models they typically are not great in our eyes because of who they are. They're great because of one or two things they have done. There's a big difference, right? And so we start to look at these people and we become confused. In fact, you ready for this? Deion Sanders, coach of Colorado football. I, I sense some judgment over from the right side. That's all right, especially online. It's cool. Deion Sanders, Colorado football coach, NFL, MLB superstar. Here's what he says about role models and greatness. I love this. Look what he says. Role models today are just models playing a role. And he's on to something, isn't he? Now, I know some of you got a little defensive, like, why would you use him in church? It's so confusing. Well, let me say this. I questioned it too. But point is, just a minute before this, in this particular interview I was watching, do you know what he said? The interviewer asked him, hey, you have five kids. Who do you think is their best role model? Like, who do you want them to follow? Who is great in their eyes? You know who he said? Jesus. Without hesitation and without a, an even close second, not even himself. 
he realized something that we need to realize. And that is that there is only one person that has walked the planet that can model for us what true greatness is supposed to be. And it's Jesus and Jesus alone. So Jesus now moving into the disciples, he's going to give a different perspective. Watch this. Verse 26 says this. But among you, it will be different. Did you hear that? Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Now, first thing to point out, he didn't get rid of the word greatness. Do you see that? He still used it. He just changed the definition. That's important for us. I like to think of it like this. He took greatness where we might, in our culture today, put it with a capital G, and he put it with a lowercase g. From a big G to a small G. He redefined what greatness is. What does that mean for you and I? It means we should all, you ready for this? We should all strive for greatness in our lives, but greatness as God defines it. So what did Jesus say? Well, first he said, you should take like the lowest rank. What's he talking about here? Lowest rank. See, in this time, you, the person that was the youngest in the room was also defined as the least important, period. Age had everything to do with authority. There wasn't much you could do to shift that. What he's saying to you and I is that for us, for those that choose to be Christ followers, wherever we go, we should pull ourselves back and push others forward. Then he says, and you should be, leaders should be like a servant. What's the idea here? The idea is that we should put other people's needs first. A great servant doesn't put their needs in front of others. A great servant puts other needs in front of their own. So what does it look like for us today? Well, it might look like performing certain or specific tasks for people to lend a hand. Maybe it's sharing your resources, whether that's financially or just things that you have. It's an opportunity to just be present with people, maybe to lend a listening ear. It's to share your guidance or your wisdom. It's to share your experience that you've had in life with others. To serve is to help to meet the needs of those around you. We have a great group of men over at our Missouri City campus, uh, young married men. They've been leading this small group together for about a year and a half. And not long ago, they came up to me and they said, hey, we, uh, we're really enjoying our time we're learning a lot, but we feel like we need to kind of do something different. We need to maybe take another step. And what we realized is they were enjoying learning, but they felt like that was a bit of a, it wasn't quite enough. They wanted to go do something. So we brainstormed and we came up with this idea that, hey, why don't you and your kids and your families get together and we'll, we'll give you a list of some widows that are a part of our Missouri City campus. Why don't you just go love on them? Go help meet needs, help around the house, maybe mow the lawn, take your kids with you, model what it looks like to serve for them. And they've been doing it ever since. It's been an incredible example of what it looks like, where, of course, we lean in together as a family. We want to grow in our small groups. We want you to be a part of those. But at the same time, we also know that, man, there's something for us to do here as we band together as a church family. So these guys have been a great example, a great model of how to do that. So then Jesus does one last thing. And it's important to note, especially if you haven't been studying the Bible very long, Jesus always practiced what he preached. He always modeled before he asked you to do something. Look what he does in verse 27. Look what he says. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Now, pause here for a second. This would have been culturally connected. 
If you sat at the table as a guest, you were always more important than those that served. So his response, who the one who serves, look at the next part. He says, the one who serves, of course, the one who sits at the table. In culture, that made sense. Whoever sat at the table, they were more important. But then look what he says. Next part. But not here. For who? I am among you as one who what? Has authority and power? No, who serves. Now, we may not catch it, but this would have been an aha moment for the disciples sitting at this table with Jesus. Here's why. Because at the beginning of this same dinner, Jesus did something mind-boggling. When he entered into the room, he began to wash the feet of the disciples. Now, I know some of you are like, this is why we don't go to church. This is so weird. Who does this? Like, if you start pulling my shoes off, I'm out, okay? And I'm with you. Because nowadays, that would be, that would be a bit weird. But back then, in this culture, this was a common practice, Okay, what, essentially think of it like this. Your feet were your primary mode of transportation, just like your car would be today. And on a long road trip, what happens? Your car gets dirty, and you need to go and get it washed. Well, in a similar vein, your feet would get dirty as you were constantly traveling. And so it was custom before you sat down for dinner, particularly a dinner like they were having on this particular evening, you would have your feet washed. But you didn't wash it yourself. It was the job of the servant of lowest rank in the home at that time. And yet Jesus, with the highest rank, remember he was a rabbi, he was a teacher, stoops down on a knee and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And they tried to stop him. They were so uncomfortable. I should be washing your feet. Why are you washing mine? But what was Jesus doing? He was modeling to them what he was about to ask of them just a moment or two later. Jesus was always the role model of what to do. So what do you and I do with this? I hope that's your question. How, how, do we, how do we take this? How do we move this into our life? Well, I think what I want to show you is a couple of change phrases. I'm going to give it that term. And I want you to look at both angles. And I want you to see which one you think best matches with what Jesus is teaching us today. Let's look at these together. Here's the first one. Count my blessings. Not a terrible thing when you first hear it, right? Here's another perspective. Share my blessings. Which one lines up more with what Jesus is teaching? Let's go to the next one. Improve myself, right? We're in that culture. Get better, get smarter. I don't know if you can actually get that much smarter, but get better. Improve it or improve my world. Ah, interesting perspective. Sounds a little bit like what Jesus was talking about. Here's the next one. Find a better job. Your boss is here. Be careful. I love my job, Dean, wherever you are. I love my job. It's great. Serve a better cause. Oh, different perspective, right? Look at the next one. Save more money. Not a bad thing. Don't freak out. Mo City, it's okay. Save money. I was watching online. Or help more people. Subtle perspective shift. How about one more? We're a couple months away from New Year's. Does that freak you out? New Year's, almost here. New Year, new me. Well, how many do that every single year, right? How about New Year, less me? See, here's the thing. The more that you and I follow Jesus, the longer that you and I follow Jesus, what we will realize 
is that to achieve greatness in his eyes is to lower our posture before the world. We lower our posture before God and we lower our position before man. And when we do this, we not only please God by what he desires for you and I to do, we not only meet the needs of each other, but we also model to the world how God desires for us to live and how much God loves them by meeting their needs. It's achieving greatness, but greatness with a lowercase g versus an uppercase. There's an amazing story I heard a while back that I, I could not get out of my head. I want to share it with you. There was a teacher. She had a group of kids, group of students in her classroom. And one day she shows up to church and she's brought a bunch of balloons that were deflated. She takes some time. She inflates all the balloons. And then she has every child write their name on the balloon. She takes the balloons out into the hallway and she spreads them down the hallway. Then she puts five minutes on a timer, on a clock. And she tells the children, okay, I want you to go out into the hallway. I want you to search through and find your balloon, the one with your name on it. So she hits go on the timer and the kids scurry out in the hallway and they're running up and down. They're having a good time at first and they're laughing and they're kind of enjoying. And then as time goes on, they're having a hard time finding their balloon and Sure enough, the timer hits zero, and only a couple of children had found their balloon. They come back to the teacher, and they're frustrated. They're discouraged. She grabs all the balloons back, and then she mixes them up again and puts them back out in the hallway. But this time, before she sends the children out, she gives them a different instruction. This time she said, as you walk out into the hallway, I want you to grab the first balloon that you see. I want you to look at whose name is on it, and I want you to take it to that person. She hits the timer, and she says go, and the children run out. Within two minutes, every child had their balloon in their hand. She brings them back into the classroom, and she sits them down, and she says, listen, these balloons are a lot like happiness in life. If you spend your life just trying to find your own happiness, Oftentimes, you never find it. But when you go and try to help others find happiness in their life, oftentimes, you end up finding your own much faster. Philippians says it this way. Just listen and let this wash over you for a minute. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that what? That Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. This whole thing is the heart of our church. That we want to come together. We want to first lower our posture before God. And then we want to lower our 
position amongst others so that we can serve and meet the needs of each other. It's greatness with the lowercase g. Not long after my family and I moved here to Missouri City to serve as a Missouri City campus pastor, uh, we were driving down the road and my daughter, she pointed, my daughter's eight, she pointed out, she said, hey, dad, look, there's another one of those stickers everywhere, the RPC sticker. If you don't have it on your car, you should put it there. And she said, but dad, look at it. If you flip it backwards, you know what it spells? CPR. And I thought, that's cool. School's working. I like it. That's awesome. And to be fair, at the time, it didn't quite hit me the same. But now when I think about that comment, it, it actually hits me a little differently. See, it's interesting. I don't know if you noticed, but it feels like maybe even for us as a church, we've kind of been flipped around. And similar to life, oftentimes when things are flipped around, you get a different perspective. Sometimes it even helps us begin to realize why something was so important to us in the first place. RPC spelled backwards is C-P-R. That's exactly what we want to be as a church. A place that leads people to Christ so that he can breathe life into them. So if you're here today and you're away from God, or you're watching online and you're away from God, listen, come to him so he can breathe a new life, a new vision into your world. And if we're here today and walking with God, let's remember to achieve greatness, but greatness how he defines it with a lowercase serving others and meeting each other's needs. Maybe today you need to grab that card and say, you know, I don't know how to do all of the great things, but I could maybe start here by just checking a box and trying to meet the need of somebody else in my world. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Lord, I thank you for this great privilege, privilege to be here today to share your word. Lord, you know who's here. And you know what areas of our life may be, like that little illustration at the beginning we talked about where everything must go. Lord, you know what the areas are that we need to clear something out that's not profitable so that something new that is profitable can take its place. And God, you know who's here that is not walking with you now. Lord, I pray you just tug on their heart today that they might surrender to you, step into relationship with you so that you can breathe a new life into them. Lord, help us to be the men and women you have called us to be and to serve each other the way you have called us to serve. May we be humble as we leave this place, achieving greatness as you have defined it is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.